Alrighty, welcome to a very special edition of the Celtics Lab podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Tebetabai. I'm joined by Alex Goldberg and Dr. Justin Quinn. I always am. We've said enough about the Kevin Durant stuff. We talked to Mark Murphy earlier this week. Um, we're just going to let the dust settle a little bit before we fill in that content void, I guess. Um, instead, we have a very interesting interview today. I'm wearing my Pittsburgh Pirates shirt for the YouTube crowd because we are talking to a very important person. We're talking to Chuck Cooper III, the author of Breaking Barriers, The Chuck Cooper Story, the CEO of the Chuck Cooper Foundation, and importantly, the son of Chuck Cooper, the first black man drafted into the NBA. Chuck Cooper III, how are you? I'm great. After that intro, how can you yeah. not be? It's a pleasure to be here today. Yeah, uh, the pleasure is all, all mine um, and all ours. I, um, You and I know a little bit about Pittsburgh. Um, I actually took a class at Duquesne, which we'll talk about maybe at the tail end of this interview. But um, this being the Celtics Lab podcast, obviously, there's a lot of connective tissue. Um, so welcome to the pod. We'd love to talk about uh, your dad and his legacy and the work that you do. Um, so I'm going to swing it to Alex in a second. But for fans who, who maybe don't know, um, back in 1950s, Celtics owner Walter Brown had a very famous quip um, in drafting Chuck Cooper, the first black man drafted into the NBA. I don't give a damn if he's striped, plaid, or polka dot. Boston takes Charles Cooper of Duquesne. And alongside uh, Nat Sweetwater Clifton and Earl Lloyd, they kind of helped break the uh, white-black color barrier in the NBA. Watt Misaka um, is a Japanese man who was drafted back in 1947, but certainly 1950 with Chuck Cooper, Clifton, and Lloyd. That's a big, big date. So I'm going to switch things to Alex to kind of start us off, Chuck. And we'll go from there. So welcome. Sure. Thank you, Chuck, for being here. First off, it's a real pleasure to have you. And uh, I'm looking forward to this podcast. So in talking about uh, Chuck's, uh, and this is Chuck, Chuck Sr., Chuck first, um, just for the listeners at home. In talking about uh, Chuck's kind of the obstacles that he faced to get to the NBA and eventually achieve what he did, you kind of have to start that story in college. Uh, and Chuck faced some barriers playing for Duquesne at the college level. Can you kind of talk talk us through um, some of the barriers that he faced at the college level first? Absolutely. Great question. You know, I got to set the stage a little bit. So when he played for Duquesne, uh, his first year was 40, 46, 47. And he actually played one year uh, before that, one a half a semester at West Virginia State College where Earl Lloyd actually I graduated from, uh, but my father was drafted into the Navy and he was Arnold discharged and came back to Duquesne. He made the all Navy team uh, two seasons in a row. And by the time he left the Navy, he was actually being nationally recruited by all the top schools that were integrating uh, at that time. Uh, LSU, uh, just to name one, one of the powerhouses back then, but Duquesne was a powerhouse mm-hmm. in basketball, but he really helped put them on the map. And, you know, we really got to give Duquesne University a lot of credit because, you know, what you alluded to was uh, back in his freshman season, the 46-47 season, the University of Tennessee came to play Duquesne, and 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 they let it be known. And they let it be known even before they got there. And those, the story is, is that Duquesne kind of ignored the communication, but they let it be known that, hey, if you let Chuck Cooper play, we're not going to play. And even though my dad was a freshman, he had established himself as one of the best players on the team. And, uh, and Duquesne took a team vote, and they said, listen, if, uh, if, 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 if you're not going to let Chuck play, then you can go home without a game. And they were actually in the locker room, and Duquesne sent him home and, and, and ended up having to uh, 
reimburse the fans. You know, it was a sold out audience waiting to see that game. So, uh, you know, you got to really give the university a lot of credit. I, I think that really was the initial bond that um, was established between my father and the university. He was close to the university, worked on his behalf uh, up until, you know, he passed away. And now, you know, uh, being recognized with their field house, the UPMC Cooper field house, it's just a tremendous honor. But, again, I really think it all goes back to that that Tennessee game and certainly his All-American career. And, and then letting him establish himself as a team leader. He wasn't just uh, their first African-American uh, All-American. He also was a team captain. So, and then moving from that into the NBA, what was that transition like? Were there any kind of challenges or expectations that came with that transition or any particularly notable stories on making the leap from college to the pro game? I don't think he had much expectations because there was no precedent. Um, you know, we mentioned the draft in that Smokefield room in Chicago when, when Walter Brown and Red Arbach selected my dad, you know, that, that opened the door. So I, I know he, I remember him telling me that he was just really solely focused on making the team. He didn't know it wasn't guaranteed he was going to make the team. Um, but not only did he make the team, he, you know, he started his first game, became, uh, was named to the all rookie team. And, you know, he was, he was uh, uh, rookies, if you will, with, with our back and, and his good friend, Bob Cousy. And that established the Celtics winning ways. That was the first season that the Celtics established a winning record. And, of course, they never looked back uh, 17 world championships later. Uh, but, you know, it, it was difficult. Um, you know, he, 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 he played in the, uh, the college All-American game. Uh, he was a team captain. So his expectations were that if, if he was afforded the opportunity, that he was going to be a star in the league. Uh, because he competed and, and dominated in a lot of cases uh, against the rookie stars and, and some of the guys who preceded him that he played against uh, in the league. So he expected to be 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 a high-level player, if not a star in the NBA. And so kind of speaking on that and the transition and then kind of going forward into his NBA career, you mentioned that, you know, when Chuck was drafted, his sole focus really was to just make the team and then, you know, make an impact and kind of develop into the player that he clearly knew he could be. Did he have a sense, though, of the kind of legacy moment that he was going to be a part of there? I mean, you know, we're talking about a similar time period, not exactly the same, but a similar time period where uh, athletes in all sorts of different sports are breaking the color barrier, most notably Jackie Robinson and uh, you know, many others, obviously, as kind of alluded to before. Did your dad have a sense of kind of what that meant? Or was he kind of more focused on his particular moment? And it can be both. I think it was both. Uh, you know, he certainly was 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 familiar with Jackie Robinson. Uh, we're actually, we have a big project we're working on now where the house that, not that my dad grew up in, but the house that he raised me and, 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 and his family in, uh, to establish the Chuck Cooper uh, House and Archives. And digging through some stuff, uh, one of the letters I found was from Jesse, actually two letters I found were from Mr. Olympia himself, Jesse Owens. Uh, Jesse was working as a consultant for Abe Saperstein, who was the owner of the Harlem Globetrotters. Well, in these letters, Jesse was trying to get my father, Jesse and, and, and Abe were trying to get my father to leave Duquesne University after his junior year. And it was reported in the Pittsburgh Courier, which was uh, 
probably the most uh, prominent uh, black newspaper at that time, circulated throughout the country. Uh, that he, there were two other teams that were interested in him after his, his junior season. So um, I think he was aware of it. Uh, he certainly was aware of Jackie and what Jackie went through. All of the early African-American pioneers gave Jackie Robinson a, a, a lot of credit. Um, but he also was aware that, you know, because of uh, society that, you know, he, he had to be better and he was going to have to uh, overcome some hurdles that, you know, his white teammates certainly uh, uh, didn't have to, didn't have to uh, deal with. And speaking of his white teammates, what was his relationship with his teammates like kind of initially joining the NBA in Boston and then progressing forward throughout his career? You know, I mentioned uh, Jackie Robinson, and one of the things with Jackie's story is you know, he didn't get, he wasn't supported by his own teammates initially, right? His teammates really gave him a tough time. Well, the Celtics organization, the Boston Celtics organization is special. It's in their DNA, and it was established back then. Walter Brown and Red Arback made it clear that my father would be treated with dignity and respect, and that's exactly what happened. And then he had uh, guys on the team like Bob Cousy and a couple other guys that he – you know, they enjoy some of the similar things off the court. You know, Jazz, uh, he and Bob, you know, would enjoy a cold beer once in a while. Uh, so he really bonded nicely uh, with, with most of his teammates. And I remember there, there was, he told me there were a couple that, you know, going out of their way to, to, to let him know that he was accepted, would give him the old story, hey, you know, well, I had black friends growing up, you know, that sort of thing. But, you know, they, they treated my dad with dignity and respect. And, and he, he realized that even more after he left the Celtics, just how special uh, he had it uh, playing with uh, with that great organization. So we're going to do a little bit more on Chuck's experience, both with Boston and kind of onward. And I'm going to swing to Justin for this next segment. But thanks, Chuck. Oh, thank you. And actually, I'm going to take an interception here. Uh, I'm going to pause the action <laughs> and uh, <laughs> talk about our friends over at betonline.ag. Um, the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. You can find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this scorching hot MLB season, RIP Red Sox, the latest fighting news, and even next season's early NFL futures. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information, live betting, esports, and more. You can head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today. And if you use our promo code CLNS50, you'll get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. Okay, now I'll hand it off to Justin. So that was actually, well, not the, not the ad. It was a good ad, don't get me wrong. but it, The best. Was, yeah, but what I was referring to, uh, or about to refer to, is Alex's segue, which would have been absolutely great if not for capitalism. Uh, Cameron just jumps in and takes the ball away from a perfect Got to do it. Got to do it. <laughs> Sounds right. Pay the bills, et cetera, et cetera. Um, this brings us to the most uncomfortable Boston Celtics topic, which is really the legacy of the team. We, we know, what all of us here, and probably most of the people listening, know the very progressive legacy of the Celtics as an organization. And the city has a much less progressive history, uh, which often gets, um, sometimes intentionally, but often erroneously, conflated with the two. So I was wondering if you could talk about your understanding from, from, you know, through your father's eyes, through your own experiences, about the legacy of the Celtics organization in the city of Boston, because even more than a half decade later, when Bill Russell got there, we all know that he did not get the same kind of treatment from even the fans of the team, never mind fans of visiting teams, uh, or when they went on the road. So 
what would you say about this complicated conversation? Yeah, it is complicated, and it's complicated because it's a it's a complicated conversation to have in, in, in America, uh, and it was a way more complicated back in in, in the days of of my dad and and, and Bill Russell. Um, you know, what I can say about the Boston Celtics organization is, um, you know, if I could pick a franchise to be historically connected to, um, they, that would be the Boston Celtics organization. Uh, we, and, and not just because they drafted my father. He started, he, he became an all-rookie player, but Bill Russell became the first head coach. They started the first black starting five. You know, to this day, I think uh, Emay is the first African-born coach. Uh, the Celtics have continued to break barriers. They have the uh, Celtics uh, uh, United Initiative, where they're uh, 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 investing $25 million today to fight uh, racial injustice. So when you talk about the Celtics organization, they're barrier breakers themselves. You almost have to compare Walter Brown and, and, and Red Arback with Branch Rickey. So the Celtics, anyone who's a Celtics fan, uh, listening, listening, and anybody in your audience, when it comes to race relations in the Boston Celtics, they should hold their head extremely high. Again, it's in their DNA, and they have the history and track record to prove it. Now, when you talk about the city of Boston, I, I'd never lived in Boston, um, so I can't really speak to it. Um, you know, I know that, you know, you hear a lot, you know, I'm certainly uh, continuing to be an NBA fan, and you hear a lot about, you know, some of the treatment of the players. And, you know, I, I'll go back and say this. You know, we're all adults. And if you're letting your – if you're contoning that type of behavior with your kids, then there's a problem. But we're all taught when we were are young by our parents that, you know, you you, you 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 treat people with dignity and respect. You don't call people out of their names. So, you know, if, 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 if anyone tolerates um, uh, racial slurs and racial abuse in any type of public forum, that, that that that's just that's just totally wrong. I don't care who you are. So so whether it's in Boston and Pittsburgh, in L.A., if that type of behavior is going on, it, it needs to be corrected and corrected fast. Uh, but again, um, you know, racially, um, we have problems throughout the country. Boston, you know, Pittsburgh is is is, is not a progressive city. You know, growing up. Um, and, and, and in the United States, most African-Americans in my, in my age group, and I'm getting old, so this might not be true today, but they, they wanted to go to either Atlanta or D.C. because those were more progressive cities. So, you know, America is not without its challenges. And for me, I think it's, it's, it really calls for each and every one of us to look in the mirror and listen. All I, when, when, when I meet people from the door, I was taught, my dad taught me this, you know, you treat everyone with respect and then you try to have the character and the interaction that you earn your respect. And if we all did a little bit more of that, we'd be living in a much better country. But I still have faith. There's so many good people. I'm blessed. Um, you know, you mentioned the Chuck Cooper Foundation. You know, most of my board members are, are Caucasian or, or white. And they have done a tremendous job. And I could not have built the organization, could not have awarded almost $300,000 in scholarships since 2013 without the support of, of, of a diverse group of people. So, um, you know, when I talk about the Boston Celtics and I talk about their history of diversity, you know, one of the things that I tell people, and I could be talking to kids, I could be talking to uh, corporate leaders, it doesn't matter. 
when you make the right decisions for the right reasons, good things happen. And that's one of the reasons why the Celtics are one of the most successful franchises in the history of team sports is because they don't let uh, things like race and, and other uh, superficial uh, reasons to make the right decisions uh, get in their way. So it's another reason why I have a tremendous amount of respect for, for the Celtics organization. Very cool. Apologies for uh, the inappropriate-ish music in the background. If you guys can hear it, there's some Sounds good to me. You like it? All right, cool. Yeah. They're, they're good people to try to earn a living by, by busking in the street. And I love them, but sometimes they show up at awkward moments like this one. Uh, so speaking of amazing organizations, one of the original organizations in the NBA, uh, a representative of it, Steph Curry, wore your pioneer sweatshirt at the All-Star Game. Could you tell us a little bit about that it shirt? Is. Very cool. Yeah, so the, this pioneer shirt is a collaboration with... Uh, a company called Actively Black and, and owned by Lanny Smith. And, you know, I went to the All-Star game and I was told by Lanny that there was a good chance that, that Steph was going to gonna wear the jersey. And he was supposed to wear it at the HBCU game, right? Well, I was at the game and, and, and got to report that, you know, Steph was there earlier. Uh, he wasn't there for the game, but he got a chance to go in the locker room and speak to the players, which I'm sure – uh, they they really appreciate it. So that didn't happen. So for some reason, I, tur I turned to Lanny. I said, Lanny, I said, hey, you know what? Maybe he'll wear it at the All-Star game. <laughs> and not only did he wear it at the All-Star game, but he wore the jersey after dropping 50 points and putting on an absolute show, you know, shooting 50-footers uh, 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 and turning around and not even watching it go. I mean, just a tremendous show. Uh, but to have Steph wear that jersey uh, meant so much. And, and what it really meant is that today's player care and, uh, and they're paying a homage to uh, the guys like Chuck Cooper, Earl Lloyd, Nat Clifton, Don Barstow, who played for the Celtics for a while, uh, Maurice Stokes, uh, who we don't talk enough about, one of the greatest players ever. This also from Pittsburgh, Cam. I know you know that. Uh, but to pay homage to these guys who had to go through, you know, not being able to stay at the hotel with the rest of the team, not being able to go to dinner uh, with the team after the game. You know, these guys, don't need, they can't even fathom that. So, you know, one, one thing I, I, I say, I've been saying a lot recently when I kind of reflect about the, um, the pioneers and the barrier breakers, you know, when you're a trailblazer, when you blaze a trail, it, it, it causes wounds and leaves scars. And, and some of them are incredibly painful and are on the inside where you can't see them. And a lot of people think that, you know, some of the uh, stress and, and things that my dad and, and Jackie Robinson and, and many pioneers uh, in sports and beyond go through uh, lead to, you know, unfortunately to their early death. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, so for Steph to, to, to rep these guys and, and, and I got to really thank the NBA. Um, you know, they've done a tremendous job under the leadership of Commissioner Adam Silver and Deputy Commissioner Mark Tatum to really make a concentrated effort to tell the story of the pioneers and bring some attention to them as well. You know, the, um, the, the, all three of these pioneers have championship trophies named after them now. I was hoping my, my father would get the Eastern Division so the Celtics could hold it up one day. But, uh, but he's the, the Pacific Division championship now receives the Chuck Cooper uh, trophy. So, 
but to have a player like Steph Curry, his caliber, um, you know, show up for the Pioneers, um, I'm incredibly grateful, and I'm really looking forward to the day where I can thank Steph in person. It's been really nice to see the 75th anniversary shine an additional light on that era. I think uh, sparked some some good things. It's also sparked some annoying things like the uh, discussions about whether uh, they were firemen and plumbers back in that era, which uh, personally I think is an utterly absurd discussion. I would love, I would love, I would love <laughs> to get on a show with, uh, with, with Reddick. I, I'd set him straight on that. Uh, the, those guys back then, you know, they were dedicated to their craft. It's just unfortunate they weren't paid the kind of money where they could do it year round. JJ was blessed that he lived in an era where he could play year round. But I tell you what, Bob Cousy, my dad, my dad, my dad was known as the best or one of the top rebounders in the game when he played. And was and, and I was just looking, I just found a book when he got traded to St. Louis, his 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 team write up in their program. And they were saying that he was also one of the best drivers in the NBA. And he always told me that, but unfortunately, the game wasn't wasn't played in that style. Like the game, the NBA game, the way it was played wasn't conducive for him uh, to really take over and be a star because of the style of play. He was a slasher, a driver. He wasn't, you know, he didn't want to do the three man weave and take a thirty foot shot, right? So, but but yeah, I mean that that that's just ridiculous. That's just ignorant, not knowing. I tell you what, if you let Bob Cousy, my dad, uh, Maurice Stokes, Bill Russell. These guys train year round with the equipment that these guys have, and 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 some of the um, uh, uh, equipment they have to help them recover from in the zero gravity machines and the stuff that the way they're pampered, they would run circles around. JJ Reddick couldn't even be on. He wouldn't even. He doesn't even belong on the same court with those guys. And I know he wasn't comparing himself to Bob Cousy, but he 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 needs to be quiet. <laughs> I I couldn't agree more. It, it was an entirely different style of play, and I think people do everyone a disservice when you try to pit one era against another. You can that you so never different. can compare errors. You can't do it. You can't compare Michael Jordan to LeBron. Uh, LeBron, I would I would love to see LeBron uh, how he would react after getting hit by Rick Mahorn and uh, and the other big guy uh, uh, blanking on his name. Lambeer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After getting hit by those guys a couple times, and and the referee just looking at you like, oh, that was a good play, right? So yeah, I mean, you can't compare errors. So uh, I think one thing that, if, especially as a player, JJ knows better than that. He we should respect the errors and, and certainly realize that. So I, I'm done with that one. Same, same. So let's let's turn it to this era. Then we've got. Okay. Two guys on the Celtics, at least for now. We don't need to get into that. But uh, at least for now, we have two guys who have really been vocal advocates against racism and inequality. Uh, one of them, Malcolm Brogdon, the newer arrival than Jalen Brown, actually has a familial history going back to the civil rights era, um, advocating for this sort of thing. Um, what do you know or think about their legacy continuing this kind of tradition uh, into the present for the Celtics? Well, you know... I don't care who you are, if you're a basketball player, um, if you're a politician, if you're a CEO of a corporation, whenever you stand up uh, for something that is controversial, unfortunately, uh, um, equality and, 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 and race relations and, and, and treating everyone with dignity and respect is, is, is you know, to, to me, it's a shame that these guys have to spend so much time, 
you know, I love what they're doing with their platforms. But, but my dad was drafted in 1950, and the world hasn't changed that much that we still need people to use their platforms to try to end um, uh, racial discrimination and, 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 and advocate equality. I mean, come on, America. Like, when are we going to get over this? So it, it's such a, a deep and systemic problem. But I applaud those guys because, again, they have no more responsibility than any, any of us do. Uh, so whenever someone does something uh, to help people and do the right thing, I think it should be recognized, recognized and applauded. And, and I really have a tremendous amount. I don't know all that they do, but I hear both of those guys, Jalen and 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 uh, Malcolm. I hear I hear them come up all the time with the great work that they're doing um, off the court. So nothing but um, but love and respect for those guys, and hope they they continue to uh, blaze trails themselves. I'm going to swing it to Cam because you yourself and through your, through your dad's foundation, your foundation, uh, the Chuck Cooper Foundation, are doing a lot. So let him talk about that. Sure. Thank Thanks. you. Thank you. So, yeah, I'll, uh, let me just uh, set the table for you, Chuck. Um, this all got started. I was back in Pittsburgh taking a course. And I'm from the Boston area. Most of our fans, I think, are. I think we have a blind spot for just how important to Americana cities like Pittsburgh are. That at the time your dad was drafted, Pittsburgh and Boston were vying for the 10th biggest city in the country. Detroit's the fourth biggest city in the country. Um, so the Rust Belt isn't an ancillary you know, part of the world. It's where the action is. Um, and at the same time, Pittsburgh's a different place than it was in the 1950s. And I was so struck. I ended up staying downtown, um, not in Oakland. And your dad is everywhere. Um, you know, you, I took the 61 from downtown to Oakland and you got to go through Duquesne. The Cooper name is everywhere. And then downtown, um, he's up there with Roberto Clemente. He's up there with some of the founding fathers of the city. So uh, before we talk about the foundation, I just want to uh, ask you about uh, the Cooper's relationship with Duquesne and with the city, because it's it, it's more intimate than I think I even realized. Yeah, you know, it, it really surprises me sometimes because, you know, I, unfortunately, I lost my dad at 21, 1984. Um, and he, you know, he passed away at the age of 57. And, um, but, you know, it surprises me, but yet it doesn't because, you know, he really worked uh, hard uh, to bring people together. And he was the type of person who led by example. So, you know, not only did he break the barrier um, of the NBA, uh, he also became the first African-American city department head director, which, yeah. which in the early 70s was came with death threats, right? Uh, and then he also, uh, PNC's predecessor, uh, Pittsburgh National Bank, he was one of their first black executives, which wasn't easy. Also had to jump through hurdles just like he had to jump through in college, playing in college in the NBA. Uh, so I, I just think that, you know, as, as his story, um, and, and that's one thing that I'm really blessed again with uh, my board members and other supporters of the foundation, uh, corporations and throughout the country who support us, we've been able to get his story out again. So as we get a story out, I think more and more people just really appreciate, you know, his contribution, not just, again, not just um, being a barrier breaker in the NBA, but also, you know, uh, what he did in, in, at, at the at city government and at, at the bank, leading by example, and, and, and always, you know, I got a chance to talk to um, one of uh, PNC's uh, uh, former presidents and CEOs. And he said, you know, the thing about your dad, he said, the thing about Chuck Cooper is, you know, he worked so hard and opened up so many doors, 
but it was never about him. And I think that's what has connected to the people of Pittsburgh and why, you know, you see two major buildings downtown uh, and some various artwork and that sort of thing. And, and it's going on and on. And, and, and again, I'm really excited about the momentum of support that we have with the uh, Chuck Cooper Archives Project that will have, you know, some of his uh, game-worn stuff and some artifacts and memorabilia. Um, I want to get a replica of that Pacific Division Championship trophy. <laughs> but again, to, be, to begin to tell the story, and we're not just going to tell his story, uh, but we're also going to talk about the other um, NBA p- pioneers uh, in Pittsburgh and some other civil rights leaders in Pittsburgh that really helped formulate and shape. You know, we, we got a long way to go, but we still come a long way. But some of those early pioneers that helped us uh, get to where we are now. So we're really excited about that project. And I think, you know, we want we want the archives to point to UPMC Cooper Fieldhouse, uh, which is just a beautiful building on Duquesne's campus. And mm-hmm. we're so grateful for the university, um, you know, the people at UPMC to make that happen. So, you know, we're just going to keep pushing it and, 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 you know, similar to my dad, as we tell a story, you know, we also tell a story like, listen, uh, my dad wouldn't be a barrier breaker without the Boston Celtics. When you're talking about, you know, uh, diversity, uh, you need you need an ally, you need a sponsor. And and, and and my dad's ally and his sponsor into the NBA was was the Boston Celtics. And, you know, I, I'll just circle back now. My, my father, for that time period, you know, he was actually pretty well received by, by the fans of Boston. Like, he never told me any stories about – you know, uh, really being treated bad. The fans really kind of took to my dad. But, I, you know, he, I think he was a likable guy like that. So, and he played hard. I think they really appreciated the effort that, that he put on the court. Tell us a little more about the Chuck Cooper Foundation. You're the CEO of the foundation. I'm correct in that? Yeah, You're the president, president CEO of the Chuck Cooper all Foundation. Right. So, you know, I'm somebody who's been charitable pretty much all of my adult life. Uh you know, back in the 90s, I started the Chuck Cooper Youth Development Association, which we use basketball as a hook to get kids to focus on education and away from gangs. Pittsburgh had a pretty bad, mm-hmm. pretty bad visible uh, gang problem uh, back in the 90s. Of course, our team were had green and white uh, uniforms, right? <laughs> but, uh, but it was a great program, and... Um, you know, we lost some kids to gang violence and, and street violence, but then we also have an orthopedic surgeon. We have a, a judge. Uh, we have some teachers. So we have some, some some young people who, you know, have been very successful and are, 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 you know, making great contributions to our society now. And some of them tell me, hey, Chuck, if it wasn't for the, the after-school program, I don't know where we're at. Matter of fact, some of the biggest hugs I get are for some of the young men and women that came through the, the Chuck Cooper Youth Development Association and, you know, I, I actually changed jobs and a YMCA came into the East Hills neighborhood where I had my mm-hmm. program. And, you know, I wasn't able to, you know, with the new job, I wasn't able to run the program the way I took over. So I was comfortable. But back in 2009, Duquesne came to me and said, hey, Chuck, we want to do the annual Chuck Cooper Classic Basketball Game. And I'll never do anything in my father's name without an educational component. Um, you know, he got his master's degree after his MBA career through some of these uh, uh, things that I'm looking through, these the, the archival uh, documents, he actually got his assurance license one year in, in the offseason when he was playing with the Celtics. That helped JJ out with some more some more uh, <laughs> material. But uh, So he was considering doing assurance. But, yeah, so when Duquesne approached me, I said, I'll never do anything with our educational component. So we decided to um, – I got a team of professionals together, and we established the Chuck Cooper Foundation. 
we, okay, well, what, what are we going to do? You, we we, we, we want to help the underserved, but, you know, what what's what's a good niche? Uh, well, it tied in, what tied into my father's story is there's not a lot of support for um, uh, underserved populations obtaining their master's degrees and higher, right? So tied in with a story, so we decided to, to, to award master level higher scholarships, you know, to help young people who are already you know, um, well, well advanced in their educational process, get to the next level, but it comes with a give back and they have Ooh. to go with me and give back to the community and share their stories. We call them beacons of light because the people that we give scholarships to are just some phenomenal young people, but we want them to go into high schools and middle schools and share their great stories of success a little younger than me, maybe a little bit more relatable uh, role models for high school, middle, middle school age students, uh, but yeah, so it comes with a give back. So, you know, again, uh, to this day, and, and we have a small organization. I started it from scratch. I honestly had to burn through a 401k to get the foundation off the ground. So it was just something I was committed to. I always wanted to do two things. One is to, to continue to get my father his due recognition, but the other more importantly, more important thing is to help underserved populations uh, have an opportunity. We call it trying to level the court a little bit for him, if you will. Well, I'll tell you that I used to teach preschool in Homewood. I worked at the YMCA for a long time, and now I'm a high school teacher. So you really just struck a chord. I can't say that enough. <laughs> thank um, you. Thank you. We, 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 we need to show our teachers a lot more respect and appreciation. So thank you for the great work that you're doing. Uh, likewise. Um, so Chuck, uh, I'll get you out of here on this. You're the CEO of the Chuck Cooper Foundation. You wrote a book alongside uh, David Finoli about your dad um, that people should check out. Breaking Shameless Barriers. Plug. Yeah. Breaking yeah, Barriers, the Chuck Cooper story. There it is. Um, Available on Amazon. Yeah, it is. Uh, all right. Um, just selfishly, I want to know what you think. What is the state of basketball in Pittsburgh? And do you think there's appetite for an NBA expansion? Actually, I have a, I have a really selfish question. What do you think of them changing the name of Heinz Stadium? What the hell is that? It's all big business, you know what I mean. That's 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 just how it is. When when I when I when I'm working on this archives project, if, if I can get get it to be Boston Celtics Chuck Cooper Archives House or or PNC Archive House, I mean that's just the way it is. Uh, you know that's the way the way the game is played. You got to play the game to be successful. If you're still a fan, you should be happy they get a lot more money to play with now. <laughs> wow, that's the that's the best take I've heard yet. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, okay, so yeah, what's the state of basketball in the Berg and what's the appetite you think for an NBA expansion? I don't think, it, I, I think it's going to be Vegas and Seattle if it happens, but I'd love to see Pittsburgh. I, I think Pittsburgh, at one time, I would probably would have said Pittsburgh doesn't have an appetite for an NBA team. I, I think now we may. Um, I, I would love to see it happen. I would love to see it happen. So um, I don't know. We got, we got a nice new uh, facility uh, PPG arena, uh, that would definitely, uh, uh, bode well for a team moving to Pittsburgh. Uh, I think we have a great fan base. One thing about the Pittsburgh fan base, it, 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 Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh fan base doesn't tolerate losers. <laughs> if you're not winning, you better have a beautiful ballpark to get Pittsburgh fan. Like, you know, like Cleveland, I give Cleveland a lot of credit. Like the Brown fans show up, you know, win or lose, you know, the dog pounds in the house. Uh, so I give them a lot of credit for that. But, you know, I think Pittsburgh has an appetite for the NBA. I know there's a lot of NBA fans in Pittsburgh, and, you know, I try to convert convert them all to Celtics fans. 
<laughs> one fan right. at a time and been successful on many occasions. But uh, but now Pittsburgh is, is a sports town, and I think now would be a great great time and a great opportunity to bring it, the, the NBA to, to the city of Pittsburgh. Yeah, bring back the Condors, I guess. <laughs> you know, it's funny you mentioned the Condors. So when Connie Hawkins played for the – it was either the, the Pipers or the Condors. There were two. I, I don't know what the relationship was, the but those were the two. I could be wrong. Was it? Yeah, those were the two two franchises we had. I don't know if they were they were, you know, taken over and renamed or or how that works. But when when Connie played for, I think it was the Pipers, he was the he was voted the most valuable player of 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 the ABA, and uh, my dad actually gave him his his award. Uh, at, oh, at that's great! Arena. Yeah, I got I got the picture of it. Just found it in in the archive. So I'm finding cool stuff like that. So yeah, we love to bring the NBA back. It was the Wrens. I, I was mistaken. The Wrens? The Pittsburgh okay. Wrens, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Man, I, would I like know there, there, there were Condors. We had the Pipers. I just don't remember. I was young. I was a little before my time to really remember. But I remember going to the games, but I definitely wasn't going by myself. Well, I, if people are still listening, go ahead, book a trip to Pittsburgh, take a tour of Duquesne, and, of course, check out Chuck Cooper Fieldhouse. Chuck Cooper the third. Thanks so much for talking to us. This was an absolute blast. And um, a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Let us know next time you're in Boston for sure. Hey, that's for sure. I'll definitely be coming in probably in February for a game for sure. All right, looking forward to it. Or okay. uh, incidentally, if you're in Mexico City, but a little bit go. longer of a trip. If you guys get oh, to Pittsburgh, make sure you let me know. Definitely. Don't, don't yeah. blow me off like some people do. <laughs> Shots fired. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks. 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 Thanks